Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. So delighted to see you return once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today is a very interesting day here at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We've had quite a slow week, so I was able to catch up on some correspondences, and I've found that there are several questions out there as to if I could only choose one movie or TV series or book in this genre, that genre, this subgenre, that subgenre, what would it be? So it inspired me to start a new feature here on Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop that we will do from time to time, where I answer the question, if I could only choose one thing to watch or read on different subjects of horror, fantasy, and science fiction, what would it be? So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at just one vampire film. So in this feature on Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, just one, we're going to do just that and take a look at various uh, genres and subgenres and... I'm going to have to narrow it down to if I could only watch one movie or if I could only watch one TV show or if I could only read one book in a particular subgenre of horror, fantasy, and science fiction, what would it be? And I thought this was an interesting idea because it would allow me to talk more about some of the older things that I like, but I realized that I have a really hard time narrowing things down to just one of anything because I, I love so many different things for so many different reasons. So in starting this, I thought, oh, this is a good idea. This will be fun. And then when I really got down to it, I had such a hard time just choosing one that uh, this is going to be more difficult than I thought, but I think it's going to really challenge me to really come up with the reasons why I like a particular movie all over all the other movies in that same particular genre or subgenre or style of movie or subject matter of movie. And this time we're doing vampire films. Now, I will preface this by saying I'm talking non-Dracula vampire films because when you're talking about vampire films, if you include Dracula, I mean, Dracula vampire films are its own subgenre. So I would like to do that at a different time because I do have my own thoughts on some of the good and some of the not so good Dracula vampire films. So I wanted to keep this non-Dracula vampires and my favorite film if I could only watch one vampire film for the rest of my life, what would it be? And I did a lot of deliberating on this because there are just so many good ones out there. Uh, some of the more recent ones, things like Daybreakers, I thought was really interesting and, and did some, some different things with a vampire film. Added a sci-fi twist to it. I, I love 30 Days of Night, I think is just a wonderful look at the savagery of vampires. You know, we see so many films where vampires are sexy and cool and and suave and the, the the great seducer but 30 days of night really 
added that feral element and that savage element to their vampires, which I which I thought was really cool and and still kept some of the vampire tropes in place. Uh, another movie I really like that doesn't get enough play when it comes to vampire films is the movie Stakeland. There again, another movie that kind of takes the zombie apocalypse, applies it to vampires, and there again, the vampires in that movie are very savage, very feral in in the way they come across and, and the way they act in that movie. And a movie that I didn't think I was going to like, I thought, oh, this is going to be a low-budget bomb, and it, it turned out to be really good. The acting was really good. The special effects in Stakeland were really good. And and the story overall, and even the sequel, wasn't that bad. So if you get a chance, check out Stakeland. So those are kind of some of my honorable mentions. And, and I do have to say that this isn't what I think is the best vampire film of all time, because I'm not so bold as to say my opinion on that uh, holds any water anywhere, but this is my own personal favorite. Like I said, this is this is me personally saying that if I could only watch one vampire film for the rest of my life, uh, hopefully that's a, a very long and fruitful life, but if I could only watch one vampire film for the rest of my life, what would that be for me personally? And I have to say, my just one vampire film would be Lost Boys. Of course, this film came out in 1987, directed by Joel Schumacher. Uh, it was originally going to be directed by Richard Donner, who directed The Goonies. And of course, he brought Corey Feldman on board. And that's kind of what this movie was intended to be. In the beginning, of course, Lost Boys is a reference to Peter Pan and, you know, that's uh, never growing old kids that don't want to grow up and, and never want to grow old. And of course, the uh, mortality of growing up and growing old, it's an escapism for that. And so that's what this was going to be. It was going to be uh, like Peter Pan and the Lost Boys only with vampires. And it was going to be very, not fan, I don't know if it was going to be family friendly, but it was going to be very Goonies-esque. And then, of course, Richard Donner left the project to go direct uh, one of my favorite action films of all time, A Lethal Weapon. And that opened the door for Joel Schumacher, who comes in and decides he doesn't want to do Goonies Goes Vampires. I've heard that phrase tossed around a lot. I believe that may Maybe in something even Joel Schumacher said himself, but uh, he didn't want to do Goonies goes vampire, and and I don't blame him because we've already seen Goonies. We we did, we needed something new and fresh, so he aged up a lot of the characters because I think in the the original script, like the Frog Brothers were supposed to be Boy Scouts and and something ridiculous, and everybody was supposed to be a lot younger. Uh, so he aged them up to teenagers, early twenties, something like that. And then added a sense of style about these characters. And I think that's probably one of the things I liked about this movie as as a kid. I mean, 1987, I probably would have been like right around 13 years old. And I thought it was very cool the way David and his vampires, they all dressed kind of like rock and roll. Like they're right out of an MTV video. And of course, they had the, the long hair and the poofy hair and the, the crazy haircuts. And of course, the David, uh, you know, it was Kiefer Sutherland at that time had long hair, longer hair. And when he showed up on set to start filming, as the story goes, uh, he got his hair cut into that kind of... Uh, mullety, half Billy Idol, half mullet sort of number. And 
I, I can't remember if it was Joel Schumacher or the producer. Somebody was pissed off about it. Um, I believe he may have almost got fired if if memory on the stories served me correct. But but I'm glad he didn't because he made such a, a wonderful David. And we'll kind of get into some of the things I liked about the characters real quick. That, I think, is what made this movie so cool uh, for, for a kid growing up in the 80s is that it did. It, feel, it felt like an MTV rock video. And, you know, at that time, you know, it was all about MTV. It was all about rock and roll. It was all about image and style and, and having your hair poofed out. And, and you know, that's everything I wanted to be. These guys looked like the rock stars on the posters on my bedroom wall from the bands I listened to. And this movie really kind of felt like that. There's so many scenes that had kind of those quick cuts. Uh, I, I know that one scene where uh, Michael's kind of on the sideline and David and the gang are, are massacring those people on the beach at that big bonfire party. And just the quick cuts and the savagery, it just it felt like a, a demented MTV video. And of course, you got uh, Aerosmith's Walk This Way playing in the background. And, and yeah, it, it felt like MTV at the time, which I I think is probably one of the reasons I loved it then and one of the reasons I still love this movie now because it is really a callback to a, a simpler time, if you will. I hate to sound cliche in that, but it's not the first nor the last time I'll ever sound cliche about the 80s because, uh, you know, that was that was the era I grew up in. That was the era that formed me and formed my opinions. And that's one of the things I loved about this movie then, one of the things I really love about this movie now. So real quick, we're going to run down some of the things I loved about the cast because I think that was probably one of the strengths of this movie where... Joel Schumacher may have gone into some cheese and some camp with this story. Uh, I think the cast was really well-picked and, and well-directed and just the perfect group of, of young actors to pull this movie off and, and make it stand the test of time like it does. And, of course, it's all led by Jason Patrick. Of course, uh, Jason Patrick, uh, it, it's always one of those kind of uh, little sideline notes that I, I, I forget about sometimes. A lot of other people, I, I think, forget about this, too, is that Jason Patrick is actually the son of Jason Miller, who played Father Karras in The Exorcist. And I, I just find it uh, an interesting little tidbit, but Jason Patrick I've always been a fan of the things he's done throughout the years, and he plays Michael Emerson, this lead character. And, you know, he really embodied... What uh, an experience I felt because he moves to Santa Clara and he's just looking to fit in and find where he fits in. You know, I moved from northwestern Pennsylvania down to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and, and I kind of felt like that fish out of water, just trying to fit in, feeling different and, and find trying to find somebody to you know, to, to be a part of your your extended family, to be your tribe. And so I really loved that aspect of him. And, and, and it's that want and need to be a part of something that kind of gets him into hot water and a part of David's group. I think Corey Haim is, is wonderful as Sam Emerson, the, the little brother. He kind of had that vibe about him, the little golden boy that just can't do anything wrong and is, is a pain in the ass, but but they have a very special brotherly bond. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of the relationship between my younger brother and I back when we were kids because there's a, a bit of an age difference between us, uh, much like it feels with, with Jason Patrick and, and Corey Haim and this, and this brotherly 
brotherly relationship. And, you know, my little brothers, little sisters always annoy the bejesus out of you when you're kids. And, and now that you, you grow up, you feel like, uh, oh, I wish I could have been a less of an asshole to my my siblings. But uh, but I, I really like the dynamic between these two characters. And like I said, Corey Haim played that annoying little brother that, that drives you nuts. But when the chips are down, you know, he's looking out for you. He's willing to, to go battle bloodthirsty vampires to do that, to save his brother. And he had some really interesting lines. Uh, that's the one thing I, I love about this movie, too, is that it's got such quotable lines in it. Like that, you're a creature of the night, Michael, just like out of a comic book. It's so over the top and so kind of kind of campy, but it just it works so well because Corey Haim does such a good job with the delivery and and the relationship and the chemistry between these two actors and his brother. Just it worked. <laughs> that line where uh, Michael brings Star around and Sam's trying to deal with you know his brother being a half vampire, bringing Star into the picture, and in that line she's one of them. And don't tell me it doesn't make her a bad person, Mike. It's just so some wonderful lines. He does have as many good lines as the frog brothers but he does have some really good lines and the the one i i've always loved is even though you're a vampire you're still my brother it just uh i, I don't know uh like i said some of the lines can come across as campy and kind of cheesy but they really uh they work so well with this movie and you know you have good actors like Corey ham pulling them off the other actor I think really stole the show in this movie is Kiefer Sutherland as David Powers, another actor, another character that got so many great lines because he's so seductive and cool and he just he's the guy that, you know, when you're you're younger, he's the older guy you look up to because he's cool, he wears the cool jacket, he's got the cool hairdo, he's riding the cool motorcycle. You want to be just like him, but whenever he's around you, he always you, you can never tell if he's he's making fun of you or not. <laughs> That's kind of how the David Powers character felt to me. And and he just has that like cool seduction about him. He almost feels like a cross between James Dean and Billy Idol. I, I know I've heard, I've probably heard that uh, used before, so it's probably nothing new that I've come up with. But, you know, he's got that cool kind of rocker look, but he has that easygoing swagger about him. And, and those lines like, drink this, Michael, become one of us. is just, there's such seduction in the delivery of, of just drawing Michael in to being a part of this. And, and when they're hanging from the, the railroad tracks and, and initiations over Michael, time to join the club. It just it's uh, it, it just screams of peer pressure. But then you have you know lines like uh, "You'll never grow old, Michael. You'll never die. You, but you must feed." It's very manipulative. Like but like I said, it's got that that air of seduction about it. And I think that's what makes this character so great is the fact that it is that cool sly seduction but there is a sinister nature behind it like i said he, he's one of the guys that you're never sure if they're making fun of you uh, in real life but in this you're never sure if he's he's gonna kill you and i loved what they did with the makeup for david and the other vampires in this where one moment they seem like cool, sexy, attractive uh, teens or, or early ad young adults. And then the next thing, they they do the thing with the makeup and the, may, the brows protruding and everything looks monstrous with the fangs and whatnot. And 
something that uh, I don't think it is a big secret that they essentially ripped off in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I can't remember the movie so much as the TV series. They definitely ripped off this whole style of the vampires being good-looking guys or gals, and the next minute when they're vamping out, they they have the face makeup and the prosthetics that uh, they give them kind of a monstrous edge. But, you know, when they do that with guys like Kiefer Sutherland in this, and you got the light low and pointing up at him, and you get all those weird shadows and, and angular, you know, pieces to the face that and the prosthetics that, that cast these these sinister shadows. It just it's frightening to look at. And some of these scenes uh, are just uh, quite scary just based on the visuals of the the prosthetics and the special effects makeup that they did on like Kiefer Sutherland and the other vampires. And I, I have to say, uh, I'm not going to go into each one of them uh, individually, but uh, Brooke McCarter, Billy Worth, uh, Alex Winter, all played a part of, of the crew, uh, Paul, Dwayne, and Marco, and they all did a wonderful job. It's a shame that we didn't get to know any of these characters well enough or their backstories or things like that. That's where I think I don't want to see a prequel. But a prequel would be interesting. Uh, just because you're not going to have the, the same actors playing them. So so why do that? But if they did this, and, and they may have done it in comic book form. I know they've done some sequel stories in comic book form. Which I think is very appropriate because this movie is very much uh, about... You know, comics. Comics are at the heart of it. Comics are the survival guide and the, the truth behind the comics, the horror comics, are, are what, you know, give the Frog Brothers their knowledge and, and are what help Sam, uh, you know, defeat the vampires. But a couple more actors we're going to talk about real quick because I, I really liked their place in this story. Everyone else, uh, like I said, all the actors do a really good job. And I'm probably one of the reasons why I like this is because it's so entertaining because of the the acting that that we get to see on the screen. But Edgar and Alan Frog, of course, they play off of Edgar Allan Poe, played by Corey Feldman and Jameson Newlander. Uh, I really loved these characters because they were so weird and so bizarre, and they're kind of. I kind of felt like me and my friends when when we were kids, you know, we we're all dressed up in camo. We loved action movies as well as horror movies. So we looked like Rambo, but we were watching uh, Lost Boys and, and other horror films and like checking out Fango magazine and and things like that. And I know that's one thing that uh, Corey Feldman was told to kind of uh, go watch Rambo. And that's kind of how his whose whole character came about, how it was very tough. And like I said, it, it could come across as a little cheesy, a little over the top, a little hammy. But I, I think that's one of the, the charms of this movie and the charms of the Edgar Frog character. But that's what I, I, I dug about these two characters is the fact that they were, like I said, kind of like me and my friends. We're all dressed in camo, but we loved comic books. We loved horror movies. We loved vampire lore and the lore of all these, these movie monsters. And I dug that they... You know, worked in a comic book shop, and it just seemed so very cool. I mean, I think that's as a kid growing up, that's the thing about this movie. You didn't know who you wanted to be. You didn't know if you wanted to be like David and the Cool Vampires. You didn't know if you wanted to be like Michael and being, you know, torn between the two worlds of vampires and humans. You didn't know if you wanted to be the Frog Brothers. You wanted to be all of them at once. And and I think as an adult looking back and watching, uh, I, I'd long for those days where uh, things were simpler and 
you know, I could aspire to want to be, you know, now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm older, I've lost my hair, put on some extra pounds, uh, I work a desk job, uh, I know those days are behind me, but I, I long for that youthful exuberance that, that made me think, oh, I, I'd like to be just like them. But I think ultimately what makes me love this movie as a vampire movie and as the vampire movie, if I'm going to only be able to watch one vampire movie. Like I said, we're excluding Dracula movies from this equation. But if I could choose one vampire movie, it would be this. Because in spite of all the good lines and the funny lines and the moments where Alan Frog is saying, Holy shit, Vampire Hotel. And Edgar saying, Great, a blood-sucking Brady Bunch. This movie had a lot of, of fun and funny moments. But ultimately, it, it did come across as a scary vampire movie. And and I think the thing I liked about the fact that it really delved into the vampire lore. It didn't ignore vampire lore. And that's one of the things that disappoints me about modern vampire movies is the fact that so much lore is just disregarded because, well, I don't want to push a, a Christian uh, message, so we're going to make uh, crosses not really mean anything or Christian iconography not mean anything. Uh, I want my vampires to be able to walk around in the sunlight, so we're going to forget about about that we'll just make them twinkle twinkling vampires for f's sakes i don't want to do the whole stake through the heart thing so we'll find some other way that you can kill vampires i you know that's fine and i can look past a little bit of that in more modern vampire films but at my heart I want all those vampire lore bits and pieces that I grew up with, the kinds that Bram Stoker made canon, uh, made the mythos when it comes to how vampires react to garlic and silver and crosses and sunlight. I, I want those traditional vampire lore elements in place and this does a good job this movie does a really good job with playing into all of those bits of vampire lore that that we've come to know as traditional vampire lore and i think that's probably one of the things i, I love most about this i also love the fact that they while they do have a lot of fun with this movie and there is a, a bit of comedy about it in in some of the lines uh it is a scary movie i mean this movie i think probably one of the best things it does in in the scare department there's so many shots pov shots of the vampires flying around and and all you're seeing is from their point of view just this camera floating through space uh coming down stalking that one scene where they're stalking the security guard or they're stalking the couple in the car and you have this camera floating through space and, and coming in, swooping in. And you never see them attacking these people. All you see is the results. You know, people flying up in the air out of shot. And I love how you get those moments, those POV moments from the point of view of the vampire. You never see them, but you hear them laughing and cackling and hooting and hollering. You know it's David and his gang. And you know that they're killing these people viciously and violently, but you never actually see it. And, and I think that's one of the I think that's one of the true testaments to horror is that you can do something where you never see uh, a single act of violence, but it's implied and you're still scared anyway. And, and I think they do a really good job. Joel Schumacher did a really good job with this. I think the beach 
uh, fire party is where we really start to see. We get little bits of that where you get some POV shots. You get some shots where people are just being dragged off screen. You never see anyone. But that's really where you start to see some of the violence. You see David biting into someone's head. You hear see one of the other guys tearing someone's neck out. And it just slowly, gradually kind of gets you into the more bloody aspects of this movie and i think it's it's done really well you know you're not starting out from jump street with a bloodbath you build up to that sort of thing and it just like i said it really goes to joel schumacher's sensibilities about filmmaking to to do it like that and and i think that's one of the chilling things about this movie are are the way that you build up from getting the the most vague inferences that this is going on to to seeing it right there in front of God and everyone. Another aspect of this that I really loved is the fact that uh, the Frog Brothers go into detail about how various vampires go out when they're when they're killed. And it's funny when they're listing it off about exploding and then some go quietly and others go screaming. And and I loved how we got to see essentially all of those things play out when you come down to the big finale, the big uh, climax. Now, of course, Marco has been killed by this point. The Alex Winter character killed in the, uh, the vampire hotel, if you will. Again, another creepy scene. Just those boys sneaking into that area, the sleeping vampires hanging. It, it was quite scary because the tension was just so, so well orchestrated in that scene. And there's a really interesting bit about that scene that I love when the boys are trying to escape and David is chasing him and, and he gets his hand burned in the sunlight and, and the boys get away, but he, the camera focuses on him and he's he's nursing his burnt hand, but there's a, a single tear going down his cheek. And I've always found that interesting as to what that meant. Of course, you would think, oh, he's he's got a tear because he hurts. He's feeling pain uh, because he, his hand was burned by sunlight. But I almost think there's something deeper in that. I mean, you could say it's because of Marco uh, dying, you know, a, a person that he's had a part of his group for a long time. But I don't even think of that. Uh, you know, he's got a smile on his face, uh, almost mischievous and devilish smile. I almost wonder if it's a tear of joy just because he's got a challenge. Somebody's challenging him. Somebody has hurt him, and he probably hasn't been hurt in a long time uh, because he is you know, one of the apex predators in Santa Clara and has been for for who knows how long, decades. So I almost wonder if it's, it's almost like a, a tear of joy that, oh, I, I've got somebody's willing to dance with me. And I've always found that interesting. I don't know. I, I've never heard any reason about that that single tear on, on David's face in that scene. But I'd, I'd be interested to see uh, where Joel Schumacher was going with that. But I always, I always interpret it, like I said, as a tear of joy because now he's got a challenge. Somebody's coming after him. Let the games begin. Let's dance. But anyway, I digress. Uh, getting back to the other vampires and their untimely demises. But I really loved 
uh, the big fight at the house where you know Paul is is in dumped in the bathtub of garlic. I can't remember if it's garlic and holy water or just garlic, but you know he goes out screaming, and then all of a sudden the blood just starts bursting through every pipe and and creates a bloodbath that was gory and gross. And the, the special effects makeup on him as his flesh is eating away it was just disgustingly wonderful. Uh, Dwayne gets the arrow through the heart. I like the fake out where you know Sam shoots at him and he he's playing possum then he jumps back up and and says he missed and Sam shoots again and gets him in the heart and it goes through his heart into the stereo and he gets kind of electrocuted uh, on top of it one of the, <laughs> I, I I hate the line because it is so cheesy but uh, Sam saying death by stereo it's just dumb but It works for this movie, and I can't like it. I can't support it, but I do get a little smirk on my face when he says that. And then, of course, I think the big showdown at the end between David and Michael is just what you would... What you would want. Now, they probably could do it differently. It could probably be uh, bigger and badder and bolder if they did it with today's CG technology. But I like the fact that it was just a couple guys on a wire, two vampires duking it out midair. And it just had a sense of not realism because, you know, real people can't fly like that. But the fact that it is two guys on a wire spinning around and flying around, it just it, it felt legit. It felt like this is really happening. And when Michael uh, pushes David into those antlers and and they go through his heart and and he's the one that dies quietly. I, I thought that was just appropriate for this this cool character. I mean, he's a cool customer. He's a cool uh, seducer. He's uh, a, a leader. He's not going to go out screaming and crying and whining. Uh, he goes out quietly with his with his boots on, so to speak. So I really like that about him. And then, of course, uh, the I mean, that's kind of the big climax, although we do get uh, like a second half to the climax where the Max character is killed by Grandpa driving through the the front door and and that big huge stake flies through and and stabs him and and he's the one that explodes and we we heard about that from Edgar and Alan earlier but uh, it just like I said it's such a wonderful movie because it has so many great elements about vampires you've got uh, vampires. You have the vampire master. Uh, you have the elements of you know vampires not being able to come into your house unless they're invited. You have all those old classic uh, tropes of vampires that that you come to love and, and that I love and I really respect when filmmakers adhere to those sorts of rules and that sort of lore. I love the fact that you have that classic vampire trope of having the vampire hunters. And in this case, it's not some old grizzled professor, Dr. Van Helsing. It's a couple kids that run a comic book store. And, and I like that aspect. And, you know, you're not making Goonies with vampires, but you're making this a very cool vampire movie for, for young people at that time. A vampire movie for the MTV age. And I thought that the very, well, one of the very last lines of the movie after Grandpa has killed Max and, and all is right with the world, uh, Michael's no longer a vampire. You have that wonderful line from Grandpa where he says, the one thing about living in Santa Clara, I could never stomach all the damn vampires and the realization that the old timers of this area know about the vampires. They're just loath to do anything about them. And, and it just, it sets up 
such a lore for this movie that you didn't even realize existed. You know, you're wondering the whole time how no one's noticing these vampires. And there at the end, you have that. It's it's a bit of a twist that, no, they do know that there are vampires. They do know that, you know, they have a vampire problem. But you know, what can they do about it? Because these vampires are the apex predators. And, you know, if you stand up to them, you're going to die. And it just adds another level to this movie as to the subtext that uh, I, I don't think you realize when you're starting to watch this, but you, you're aware of it by the end of it. And it just makes everything you just saw, you see it in a, a different light and a better perspective. And that, to me, adds a complexity and adds a, another facet to the movie that just makes this uh, a wonderful vampire film. It's well acted, well directed. It's got a really good sense of its own style and, and atmosphere and, and a consistent tone throughout this. And and I think the probably one of the underrated things about this movie is the soundtrack. I, I thought was really good. Of course, Roger Daltrey from The Who doing uh, Elton John's Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. You've got Lou Graham doing a song on there. That Doors cover, People Are Strange. And the main theme to The Lost Boys, Gerard McMahon's Cry Little Sister, is probably one of the most haunting and eerie songs uh, out there. I mean, as far as like a, a theme song for a movie, uh, it just adds a very haunted and disturbing, uh, almost a melancholic feel to this movie. And I think that really is apropos for the subject matter. You've got this group of lost boys, if you will, that will never die. And they're going to be here feeding long after the, the rest of us uh, die of natural causes if we don't die in their grasp. And it's it's got to be a lonely existence and, and a haunted existence. So it, it kind of really, to me, speaks to the... Uh, you know, the tone of a horror movie, but it also spoke to the sadness of these characters that, you know, yeah, they're going to live forever, but what sort of existence is it? And that, that song, just the, the tone of that song really spoke to that. And that's why this movie, uh, of all the good vampire movies out there, and I, I named a few of them, some of my honorable mentions, uh, there's, there's a ton more. I mean, there's a lot more that I, I didn't talk about that would be probably on any top five, any top 10 list, even though I don't like doing subjective things like that. To me, out of all the vampire movies, this is the vampire movie that I can go back and watch and rewatch and rewatch and rewatch because it has so many of the elements that I love about vampire films. It was what I loved about that time. Like I said, it had all the traditional ideas and lore of a vampire film, but it was really made for the MTV age. And at that time, at that age that I was in, that really spoke to me. And, you know, I'm the kind of guy that any old song I listen to, to this day, I think about. And I remember the video that I used to watch on MTV of that song. So even though MTV is a shell of what it used to be back when, when myself and, and many others were growing up, uh, it, it still has a big impact on who I am today. And I think that is why this movie resonates so much with me, even still at damn near 50 years old, 
I still enjoy this movie. I still, anytime I see it on TV, I have to stop and watch it. It's one of those movies that every so often I pull it out and I have to watch it because it's the one vampire movie, you know, out of all the vampire movies that I like. Like I said, we're excluding Dracula movies, but of all the vampire movies that that are out there, this is the one that I keep going back to because there are so many wonderful things about it that I love. The tradition, the lore, the coolness. Like I said, it's, it's like a rock and roll video with vampires. And the fact that it does have a lot of scary moments, a lot of funny moments, it has... Just a little bit of everything that I enjoy about a good vampire film, and that is why uh, if you if you press me, if you you put me to it, if you put me in the torture rack or the thumb screws or whatever device you have, if I had to pick just one vampire film, it would have to be The Lost Boys. So I want to thank everyone for listening to our new feature, Just One. We're going to be doing these from time to time. And uh, I'm not sure what we're going to be doing next, but uh, next time we do a Just One, you're going to find out the one thing that uh, I would watch in, in who knows. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of different things. We're going to talk about a lot of the big picture things, vampires, werewolves, uh, monsters, but we're going to go even deeper. You know, we're going to, we're going to go into subgenres. And like I said, uh, while we did talk about my favorite vampire film, what about my favorite Dracula film? What about my favorite, you know, this kind of vampire film? So we'll, we'll refine the searches and we'll refine the, uh, the just ones that I would pick if I were, were pressed for it, uh, in, in all sorts of different subgenres. So, uh, be listening for future just one episodes of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Like I said, it's a lot harder for me than I expected to narrow things down to just one, but but it has been an interesting ride in coming up with the reasons why I would choose, like The Lost Boys, why I would choose that to be my one vampire film. If I could only watch one, why it would be that. So uh, I'm excited to do that in the future with other topics and subgenres uh, in horror, fantasy, and science fiction. So please check out more Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop, Facebook, and Instagram. We're always posting uh, various things, trailers, articles from all over the internet. I like to add my two cents, pics, memes, all that jazz birthdays and whatnot you can find it all on our social media platforms so go follow us there you can also follow us on our uh, podcast whatever podcast platform you happen to be listening to us on please follow us subscribe to us like us whatever it calls it on your particular platform of choice do that that way you can stay on top of all the new episodes leave those reviews five stars would be awesome but whatever review you leave we do appreciate that and no matter what please share this with anyone that you know that loves horror fantasy and and science fiction and help us get the word out and, and build those numbers up uh, so we can keep doing what we're doing. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha.